with our conversation with Mr. Andrews. Um, one of the questions that I have is, now you've been on both sides of the coin, so to speak, as a victim and a law enforcement officer. How have you dealt with all that trauma, pressure, continuing through your life? You seem so normal, and I don't mean to make that sound <laughs> funny, but um, I think for all the things that you've been through, you're genuinely an amazing person. I'm very remarkable. Yeah, just remarkable. Right. Even even keeled. Is this a facade? Or, yeah, you guys I should mean... talk to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but but what are some of the things that have happened or transpired that have gotten you to such a healthier place? And if you're not healthy, then I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it has a lot to do with balance, and uh, you know that is that that's a that's a constant of like evolving to try to balance your, your life, but also having really good, strong systems. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in, 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 in the work I do now, I do a lot of crisis and conflict management and planning. And I, I like to break it up into three phases for folks. You know, there's a before, there's a during and an after, right. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, the during is like the bell rings, like you're in a crisis, but what do you do before a crisis? And, um, you know, there's so many things that you have control over before the bell rings. And that might be, you know, your personal wellness, you know, do you get enough sleep? How is your exercise? You know, do you have a meditation program? You know, like all the things that could go into bringing some balance and stability and in in all leading up to the, for the ability to you to have control over yourself in a moment of crisis. Because sometimes that's the only thing you get, right? Like right. everything that happened, all that happened to me in 88, and, you know, lots of circumstances since and for everybody, you know, when the bell rings, if you want choices, you sort of kind of build them in the front end. And I think that's about relationships and um, really having a lot of trusted relationship that gives people confidence, a sense of belonging, connectivity. And, and that's kind of the secret sauce of being able to do hard things. One, you get a couple of teammates, which is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I like mean, you when, say, the doctor, you've certain, it's not just your family, it's people around you, your coach. Sure, your... sure. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you can build teams anywhere and to, to accomplish anything, um, but you've got to be kind of purposeful about it. And it takes a level of uh, purposefulness. It also takes a level of vulnerability. Like, hey, I can't do this on my own. Like, mm -hmm. I need you. And, and, and by the way, I need you to show up in a certain way, you know? Yeah. Like if you show up, you know, drunk, like you're not as helpful to the team. Like right. so maybe we've got yeah. to dive into that. Or well, how do I show up, you know, without sleep or anxious and angry? And what kind of teammate am I? So we, we but, but if we show up with a sense that, hey, if, we're, if I want to bring my best to you because I care enough to come mm -hmm. through for you, to put actually your interests above my own, that that really takes a long and you know particularly in the context of police work, yes. you know being able to step in and go to other people's crises, you got to be pretty squared away. You got to be healthy yourself. You got to have a team that functions with some level of um, effectiveness, and I think that has a lot to do with trust and relationship, and I think that those things are actually built on vulnerability and compassion and, uh, humility. Yeah. 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 
The reason I ask you that question is I feel like law enforcement often takes a bad rap, and especially in Texas. It, it really hit home with me because um, I feel like there's this there's, there's a lot of misinformation, as we know. When you're dealing with an investigation, all the information is not quickly released. And then when it is released, it's all the details aren't provided to the public, which I'm sure you can attest to. And I don't feel like any of those officers were just kind of hanging out the corner while, you know, these, these children were being murdered. Um, and I obviously was not there, and I'm, I'm not going to comment on what they should have, could have, would have, because I honestly don't know what happened, but I don't feel like that was quite the scenario. There are a lot of things that go into play, um, which maybe you could speak on how an active shooter situation, how, how the response is, and it's a multifaceted response. It's not just a bunch of officers running into a building per se. There's a lot of things we put in place, and if communication breaks down, um, unfortunately, it could be a, a deadly result. Yeah, you know, I, I that there that you'd really need to recognize that um, police responding to an active shooter situation is already worst case scenario, and this notion that somehow there's a new tactic, there's a new response, there's a there's a level of readiness and training, um, all those things go into mitigating. So there'll be less loss of life, but but it won't it won't prevent it because right. they are responding to an active shooter, mm -hmm. and um, that that we just have to come to terms with that, and 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 that's why we have to talk about prevention and intervention and getting upstream, and mm -hmm. you know before bet, you get to that, yeah, and I bet there's not a cop down there that doesn't wish that that guy never got a hold of those weapons in the first place. hundred percent. And then once that happens, well, guess what? It's a really, really tough situation. A crisis is the wrong time to learn a new skill, mm -hmm. to build a relationship, mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, what the command structure is, how to communicate. Right. If your, your radio communicates with another person's radio, if you have a radio, that's just the wrong time to find it out. Yes. Yeah. Like and you said, deadly. But there's a there's a there's an after to a crisis too, mm -hmm. and um, and that's a that's a place where where we really if 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 we want to do the right thing and try to prevent something from happening again, uh, we want to embrace the people that were involved in the crisis and we want to give them as much physical and psychological safety as we can, and allow them to without stigma and without shame and without humiliation. Let them share what, what happened, what they saw, what they felt, what they did, what their motivation was, so that we can figure out what happened, why, and we can fix it. Yes. And, um, yeah. and I think you probably, probably see the theme there is, um, you know, that, I think that's what the doctor asked me to do, mm -hmm. you know, when I was in the hospital. Yes. And I think that that's a kind of what the after we have to do, like post-critical incident debriefing here, we need to understand. And, and. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, these officers, uh, however this got sliced and diced, they got to live with it. Yes. And and even if this had all gone well, they still have as, to they, live with as well as it could, they'd still be living with going into a room 
where they found children slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's devastating. It's never going to leave them. And whether they went in now or they went in, you know, an hour earlier. And like um, Julie, you had said, they have to stay in there until the crime scene is, uh, you know, a crime scene has to be for 14 hours, stay as it is. And Well, not, there's not a, a certain number of hours. But I, mean, I don't want a long time. I know. Though. I don't want to confuse our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to speak to more of like the after action and... Because I, I want to get across the point that these officers are being crucified in the media, and I feel like there's a lot of law enforcement that don't don't have a voice out there, and people don't truly understand the, the trauma that they go through from the aftermath of incidents like this. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I, like I, I, I think that we really need to look with an eye of empathy and compassion for those that are out there responding to other people's crises and recognizing that, you know, their well-being and their health is directly associated with their ability to perform well Mm -hmm. and their resilience, Mm -hmm. their ability to then recover from seeing and doing hard, traumatic Mm -hmm. uh, uh, things that a lot of us, you know, are spared from seeing yes, and participating in. And, and, and what that means when you come from, you know, uh, uh, seeing a, a child fatality and you go home to a child that's the same age. Mm-hmm. And while that was great in your 20s and you thought that this was like you, you really came home, you know, like kind of like, hey, I'm making a difference here, that suddenly now when you have a child – there's a different perspective and, yes. and how that weighs and the, and the effect that that has on an officer or really anybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, these are people. These are people that are, you know, trying to, you know, navigate their lives, have uh, made a decision to try to serve in this way. And, um, and they bring who they are to these moments. Yes. And they have to live with and navigate what they've seen and what they've experienced Mm -hmm. and 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 the expectations there are sometimes really unrealistic of what they can do in a moment and then that we expect them to sort of recover and go to the next call and and then not to affect them all they just as as people we just don't reset this isn't just a reboot um it requires that sort of that balance and uh the ability to um have healthy networks and all the other things and i think that we we we're we're we've put too much too much pressure too many expectations on on law enforcement today to solve mm-hmm. too many kind to be the response to too many kind of social ills that they don't even have the solutions for and that's hard and when the budget goes down or crime goes up or um we start canceling days off and we start putting people on 12 hour shifts and that is another unhealthy response for people that need time and rest to reset and come back healthy. And, and to work in an environment where we're continuously speaking about defunding the police and this big cancel culture and how they don't need them. And um, I think that wears a lot on officers, you know, their social and, and emotional well-being. 
when they are consistently, especially in urban cities, you know, not just here in the Chicagoland area, but other big urban cities where daily you're responding to active jobs of murder and, and mayhem, for lack of a better description, but continuously, maybe not one in a shift, but maybe multiple. Um, we can look in our own city and look at all the mass shootings that we're having here that is not necessarily gaining national attention, but we here in the surrounding communities know what's happening. And I often think about those officers who have to go and try to function normally after dealing with something like that. So so is there a change in the training of police departments, law enforcement in general, first responders, in something like your idea, Phil, of building that a network of support for your, an individual and uh, preparing for the crisis and then the crisis happens and then the uh, post-trauma. Is there, is there extra mental health, uh, mental health help now that there wasn't before or is there none? I mean, I, I really have no idea. Is it, I mean, what you're saying makes such sense. And um, listening to both of you, I'm so glad that this is for our listening audience to hear. It's so important and it's not talked about enough, if ever, really, of what, what the other side is about this and and the, this sort of trauma to these individuals. Is there a change in training? Is there this support that is stronger now? Well, I think like a lot of things, I think there's a gap between what we know we should be doing and what we're doing. and and then the quality of how we do it. Um, we've been talking about, you know, officer wellness, um, you know, for decades. Um, the 21st Century Policing Report came out and said that we should be doing a lot more. We should be doing these things around mental health support, peer support, and um, wellness programs to make sure that officers are as healthy as they can be before they head out into the community. Mentally and physically. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, but the, the, the effectiveness of some of those programs and the way that those programs are often deployed, that if, um, is in the context of like, you know, angry blaming of police, a new policy is created without any input from police, that's not exactly... Uh, uh, coming from a place of understanding or trust. So if the is next, that a check it off the list? Well, a check it off the list, and uh, you, you're, you, you're, no, you're, you're doing things so wrong that we need to uh, t come up with other ways to control what you do, instead of understanding what's happening with you and supporting you with programs we know provide for wellness, well-being. And, and promote better performance and resilience. And, uh, you know, policies that are just handed down feel to many officers as punishment, you know, for something they didn't do. You know, whether it be a change in a, you know, in a pursuit policy or a mandatory wellness program instead of... So it's degrading instead of helpful or it's the... Right. Um, Right. Yes. And, 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 you know, you, you think of that in a very individual, like if, if someone is, um, you know, demonstrating lacking coping skills, you don't just come in and say, hey, you're freaking out, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hey, I can tell you're upset. Right. You know, one is, hey, I, you know, there's a level of empathy and compassion in, in what you're saying. And the other is, hey, you're a screw up. You need to, you know, w- we got to find a way to control you. And we're, we're talking about folks that are very sensitive to, you know, human behavior and, um, and very dedicated, but also really hurting. You know, the, the, the circumstances of law enforcement, let's, let, let's just paint the picture that all this violence that's taking place, all these shootings, well, these are folks that see it, as you say, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, these are folks that know that the, there, there are high-capacity, you know, military-style weapons out there mm-hmm. with armor-piercing bullets that are designed to penetrate their vests. Now, they're still getting up going from their, in their, their shifts, getting in their squads and responding to these calls, knowing that happens, that, that, that in and of itself is, is a huge, um, uh, thing to take on in terms of there being this threat out there that is in, in, in many ways is really difficult to face. I'm wondering if you'll go home at night. I mean, wondering if you'll yes. make it through the day. What do you say to people who say, well, that's their job, that's what they signed up for? It, I, I, you know, I think it is to a degree, but they signed up for it under, in, in, a, in an understanding that it was a community that supported them, that they were going to have a perfect home life, that they were going to have a sergeant that was understanding and compassionate. They, they signed up for this believing that they were going to get the days off, that they could rest and recuperate that they might be able to take a few days over the summer with their own family. Um, the pact, the, the, the social contract there about signing up to do this is, has changed a lot. And, 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 and for many, when they signed up for this, you know, there weren't these weapons of mass destruction out on the street. Correct. And that with people, with individuals that are at, at risk to themselves and others, and it doesn't seem like we're doing much to intervene there. So I, I, I think that, that, that that's really is, is an unfair judgment that they've signed on for all of these things and that somehow we've given them a tool belt to meet all the other social situations and social needs that they're called upon to respond to, that somehow you know, they've got the gadget or the program or the 1-800 number or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the housing and the food and the, the mental health um, service, you know, that, that, that's something we deployed them with and then they're carrying it around the trunk of their, their squad car. They're walking away from a lot of these interactions knowing that they really weren't able to help somebody because they're not equipped, they're not prepared, they're not trained, or they're not resourced or there, there just simply isn't enough time between the calls to treat somebody in the way they would like to treat them, knowing that they've just experienced a, a crisis or a trauma themselves. Yeah, especially in these smaller agencies when they're so tapped, they don't have that many people. And then who do you have to rely on? I mean, you made a valid point about tools. I was just thinking back when I got on, which was, you know, a few years ago, maybe 20 <laughs> plus. Um, Vests were just starting to be worn more and more. That's that was the type of environment we lived in. We 
We didn't always wear vests. The old timers were definitely not wearing a vest. You know, they laughed at us. Like, what are you wearing that for, kid? You going to get in a shootout today? And how times have changed, right? Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to put it in a real perspective of, you know, we talk about the trauma and the mayhem and the violence. But think about this. In an, in an eight- or 12-hour tour, depending on what agency you're working for, you can walk into a home of maybe a woman that's been battered and, and try to render her aid and, and give her services and take her to the hospital and um, lock up her significant other or, or what have you. And then you can leave that and go to um, a murder scene or maybe there are some children who have been murdered. Maybe they've been murdered by parents or another relative. And then you can go to a, a sexual assault or you can, I mean, it's, it's endless. And so one day can be super traumatic, even if you've never had a crazy traumatic career. You could go five years without maybe seeing anything and then one day it all can blow up. And we know so much more about the effects of those experiences on the psyche, mm -hmm. on the brain, and the look. We're in, we, we, the, the 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 human body, the human brain can be incredibly resilient, but it also needs the opportunities to rest, to process, to um, you know articulate, to talk about what has happened, and those. Those things afford the opportunity to, 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 to then process what has taken place and then return healthily to the work, mm -hmm. you know, and, and see situations fresh as opposed to, wow, this is a lot like what I saw yesterday, even though it's a new perpetrator, even though right. it's a new victim. And that's, we need time and space and, 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 uh, practices in place to allow for that kind of well-being that supports really high-level performance and the resilience. And what's what's interesting is, you know, like the Navy SEALs and Special Forces mm -hmm. have really figured this out, right? Like, Do when, they have good mental health services? And, I mean, it, is it all of what you're talking about with I I think what they've figured training? out is that, that there's a process to um, – to to high level performance that includes well being, and and trust and team formation and relationships that allow you to be able to do hard things, even when they go wrong, recover from them and get back and still focus on high level performance, and um, and and what we seem to have forgotten in a lot of you know, in a lot of police work is that wellness component, the well-being component that is is about supporting the whole person in their work is critical to just getting good police work and good police work that they show up for the community in a way that they can engage and build relationships where better sources are developed. Mm -hmm. The community is willing to give them information. And, you know, in the circumstances that it is right now where we've asked police to do so much, so quickly, so often, those, those time and spaces for them to build relationships with themselves, their teams, and then the community are just 
are just not yeah, as that's, available as they once were. That's where part of the system is broken. It really, it really, you know, it's interesting what you say about the Navy SEALs. What a model that would be to set for these other agencies, these levels. I mean, it just seems like the way you lay it out is so logical. I guess it's time and money and... And priority. And, and priority and and building trust to even start the conversation. I mean, if you have peer sharing, I imagine that it's not that easy to have these police departments share with one another. I mean, is it is it uh, unusual to think that there would be some uh, peer support with all of this? Or would that be, if it was offered, do you think that that would be... They would take them up on it, that these departments would take take this and run with it. I think there's some great examples of where this is already taking place. Um, right here in Chicago and across the country mm -hmm. where there are, are departments and individual units mm -hmm. that are recognizing that, hey, great. This, is, this is difficult and we need to do this a different way. And they are making it happen for themselves. In some cases, it's because of leadership is recognizing that, look, you know, we got to treat these, you know, there, there, there are people behind these badges and we need to treat them in a way that really elevates wellness. And um, in other cases, it's peer support. And in other circumstances, um, it's, uh, it, it, it's outside programs sort of nibbling away and, and making themselves available. Um, we've been involved in a, in a project that really became very, you know, started very organically with a couple colleagues that really were recognizing that police work today is very difficult and that police are hurting. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, what they see on the street, the, the lifestyle, and often the workplace, that uh, working in a police department is not necessarily one of the healthiest worst in work, work environments. They, you know, they, they, they tend to be unforgiving uh, in terms of... You mean um, to each other? To each other. It, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a place where it's safe to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's not a place to show uh, vulnerability. It's not a place to um, uh, show a lot of uh, compassion. And, um, you know, for a lot of reasons where some in some cases folks have, have been traumatized and their reaction is to withdraw from their colleagues or even from potentially the you know, community interactions. So they don't really allow themselves to have those, uh, th th those important connections and those, those systems that, that support them. So that, that they c it can be a really callous place to work. And, and I, I, I've seen programs um, that have elevated that. And one of the things that we recognized is that, um, that just leading with the questions of, you know, how are you doing? I recognize that this is a hard job and, and the circumstances in which you do it and maybe the workplace and the tools that you have might not be adequate and this might not be what you signed up for. So how are you doing? And allowing for folks just simply to say, you know, how they're feeling and, 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 and what they're facing. And, and to me, that really defines itself around just kind of being compassionate mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, it takes respectful, empathy. Respectful, respectful. Yeah taking empathy to the level of where you really want to do something about it and, 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 and be there and supportive of people. So we, we cooked up this idea around um, uh, uh, creating some national conversations around what does it mean 
um, to be policing with compassion. And it really starting with a level of self-compassion of recognizing that it's okay to say that this is hard. It's not what I signed up for. I still want to do it. But what systems, what processes, what skills do I need to, to, to bring my, my best self, a healthy self, to this job and my coworkers? And how might I spread that with my coworkers so that we engage the community in an effective, empathetic, and compassionate way so the community sees us as an ally and they want to bring us information and they want to be sources and they, they want to collaborate mm-hmm. with us in a way that we're able to uh, promote public safety yeah, by solving so crime. This is like a, it just makes it's like a win-win. It makes so much sense. Yeah, I mean, speaking on a personal level, I've been a member of our peer support team for over 15 years, and it, and it genuinely does work. But you're only as strong as your strongest peer member. So oh. you have to get a good team together. And I was blessed that I'm on a very good team that genuinely cares about other officers. And, and Julie, is this a voluntary? Yes, uh, it is. Okay. Yeah. It, it's voluntary basis. We don't get paid for it. Um, you can get called any time of the day or night, and, and you respond to wherever that incident is, is occurring. Um, and the one thing that I wanted to point out with the, with the peer support and support and compassion and empathy in general is that there's a ripple effect that often is not talked about. And I don't know the technical term anymore, but as you know, Phil, when something happens to you, I'm sure that your wife and your children are feeling the effects of it. That's what we call the, the ripple effect. Whereas my husband and my child and my family are feeling it too. We kind of forget about that aspect. We always go right to the source, like, oh, you were in this traumatic incident and how can I help you? But we can only help them if we help the rest of the family. We have to build, build the whole support system and put it in place. Does that exist? Help for the family and for I mean for the stuff that we've done, yes. Wow. Yes, we go to to the entire family usually. It's not just, you know, it depends on the circumstance, of course, Mm -hmm. but we do try to engage the the whole family in conversation so that they feel is support as well. Do you know the proper terminology? It's something like, I can't think of it. I would think sort of like like an ambient or a a, a vicarious. Vicarious trauma, something like that. yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, I mean, you're, you're so eloquent in the way you describe that, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's what, it's funny that it's, it's what, you know, um, you know, kind of progressive police work is asked to do mm-hmm. is to go to a home and not just like fix, you know, or, you know, apprehend somebody, but, you know, pri- provide support to yes. the whole family so that maybe this doesn't happen again. And it, and beautiful that in some places, in law enforcement, peers are recognizing, wow, that would be really good for us too. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think it's spreading across Is the it? nation. I was just yes, going to ask it, you that. It's definitely spreading. I hope so. Um, I, can, I can only speak for my personal experiences and not for other agencies. Maybe you could chime in, but I do know that other agencies have reached out, have built their own programs over the years. I mean, gosh, going back 20-some years ago, a lot of these smaller agencies had nothing, nothing. And so what they didn't, when their officers dealt with a traumatic incident, 
is is your best guess. And then we wonder why law enforcement has such a high suicide rate. Yeah, I was just I was thinking that. <sighs> it's rough. I mean, you know, you have a bad day at work and you're dealing with all these incidents and now maybe you're fighting with your spouse or you're going through a divorce or you're having money issues or, you know, this culmination of it, it gets to a boiling port point and what do you do with it? Where do you put it? How do you deal with it? And I think that support system is, is so important with, within ourselves and our community. I think the community has to be a part of it. And I think this whole ideology of defunding the police and officers not feeling supported is really affecting people, you know, more, more than we speak openly about. I'm sure We're hurting. I, and I'm going to say that out loud. I know a lot of people would never say that, but... Um, we're hurting as a as a police community. We need to feel that support. We need to know that we're wanted and we're needed, like any relationship. That's right. That's right. It's like a, it was like the wrong language to use. You know, it was meant to be hurtful mm-hmm. in saying defund police. You know, almost like um, you know saying something uh, disparaging. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, "I want police to be healthy," yes, and 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 able and uh, effective. Mm-hmm. You know, when I call them, I want an empathetic and compassionate response that's effective and results in increased public safety. That that's not that was not said. No. You know, no. The, the, but but that's in the end that's what people really want. I don't I don't think people don't want police. I don't think people want to defund police, but they want to see really effective, really compassionate, really empathetic um, and effective police work. And in the conditions that it is currently, you know, sort of being forced, mm-hmm. that really, really difficult, you yes. know. And, and, and I would return to the, the exact things that you were talking about, like look at the suicide rate when more police are dying from suicide than from on-duty attacks. Yeah. Even though on-duty attacks are increasing mm-hmm. and and certainly adding to whatever stress might be contributing to police suicides, like that is an indicator that there's something unhealthy going on. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see the level of divorce and you see the level of of substance abuse, mm-hmm. um those are all like kind of pre-incident indicators that there's something wrong and that folks need help. There's something wrong and some of it's getting worse. And I'm so glad again that we're having this conversation. I'm sitting here listening to both of you and knowing that this is going to be dropped to the public on our podcast. And I'm so glad that people will hear this. It's so important. And this is not a conversation often heard lately. That's why I wanted to bring it up because we don't often talk. Police and mental health in general are not usually a good mix. In the same sentence. I know. Um, and, you know, I, I touch lightly through policing and mental health because I wear both hats. So I have compassion and empathy for both, and I see both sides. And I wish I could bridge that gap more because police officers are not heroes. They don't wear capes. <laughs> um you know, they go to work every day, they have families, and, and they truly want to do the right thing. But like you said, it's the tools. Sometimes they're just lacking the tools, and we have to connect those bridges. 
And Phil, this is what you have an organization now that does this compassion training. Um, what kinds of um, places hire you, so to speak, to do this? It's not just police departments. What else? Tell sure. us who, who calls you. So I, my, my uh, firm, PAX Group, um, does a lot of crisis and conflict, uh, de-escalation and uh, negotiation. We're sort of in the difficult conversation and uh, dick of difficult circumstance and environment space, you know. And um, one of the one of the the projects that we have we call uh, Project Compassion, and it really is simply um, taking some of the what we already know from neurology. Um, what we already know from neuroscience and so, uh, psychology and taking the best of wellness programs and trying to package those in a way that we can meet officers where they're at and really providing like a 105-minute program to introduce them, actually more strengthened because they really don't need an introduction to mm -hmm. some of these skills. Mm -hmm. They're there. But recognizing how they can support themselves in 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 being uh, uh, attaining a higher level of well-being, and then sh moving that to um, promoting better relationships with those around them on their teams, in their squads, their partners, their their shifts, and uh, and and building a greater sense of compassion, connectivity, trust, and relationship with, with the folks on their teams with a look toward increasing a level of compassion for the community. Recognizing that the community is suffering, the community is hurt, um, the community has, has perceptions of law enforcement and um, their circumstances, and that the, that the police will continue to be called on to come to their crises, and that if police are healthy and um, performance-minded and build skills around resilience, that they're going to be better able to meet the community where it is. Mm -hmm. But it also has to do with, you know, self-care and mm -hmm. wellness right. yes. also has to do with advocacy, so do you teach that? I mean, do you train that too? Yes. Of just excellent. Yes. Yeah. It really starts with themselves, then looking to their team, and then kind of their mission in the community. Um, but but also, you know, advocating, you know, in in effective ways for what it is they need, and um, and and th that's another part of this as as you're building wellness, recognizing, talking back to those systems, talking back to city councils, talking back to to commissioners and mayors. And making sure that they understand and see and recognize that that officer well-being is critical to their performance and actually elevating public safety. Because their connection with themselves, their team, and then the community is critical in terms of us addressing the the you know the, the increasing public safety concern. That our yeah. nation is seeing. So interesting. I look at you know the whole all the chaos in again the epidemic of shootings and violence across the country. That that you know you look at the basic uh, the basis of educating police departments about mental illness, CIT training, crisis which is crisis intervention training to our audience. But this what you're explaining is what I 
I would think is another foundation for success to start building throughout the country. If, if every police department could do that, it would just build such better communities. And then the communities look, you know, the accountability, everything we're talking about. Very interesting. Yeah. Remarkable work. Well, thanks. And there's a lot of opportunity. As, as you guys know, there's 18,000 different policing bodies in the United States. And each one Do you get has, called from all over the country? Well, you know, as we're rolling this out, it's interesting where our entry points are. You know, some are departments that have experienced a critical incident or they're being criticized or mm-hmm. they're, or new leadership is recognizing, hey, wait, my officers aren't well. Like we're asking our officers to do things that are hard, but we're not taking care of their well-being so that they can be healthy enough to go to other people's crises. So the entry points are interesting. Sometimes it's beefing up a peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's um, you know city councils and mayor's office or commissioners that are saying, "Wow, this is an opportunity." Like we've mandated a lot of things, we've created a lot of policy. None of those seem to be having any impact because they've missed the relationship piece. They, yeah. they, they, they aren't building well-being and trust that will result in embracing but perhaps a well-thought-out program. But because it came at a place of you know, mistrust, it's not going to be embraced. Yeah. I, I imagine that this would make be very successful, what you're the logic of it all. Well, it's so needed. So, and I feel like I maybe it's just me and the world I live in, but I feel like it's such a simplistic concept mm-hmm. that people are just missing in general. It's like a relationship. It's like a friendship. If you and I are together and I trust you and we're going to go into something that's bad, it's probably going to come out a lot better than if you and I are in a fight and we're going into the same situation. It, it may not go as well because we're already coming in with that hostility toward one another and we're bringing that into the situation. Yeah, it is. There's nothing new under the sun here. This is basic and I think it is reminding us that it is about this blocking and tackling about getting uh, wellness right. And in, 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 in the same scenario, what if, I, what if I don't have a great relationship with myself? Right, <laughs> right. Right? Like I've got turmoil because of all the stressors in my life mm-hmm. or my fear of performance in front of colleagues mm-hmm. or I'd love to stay and, you know, show some compassion to this person. But when I step out, my team says, hey, when you show that kind of weakness, you look make us look weak and you mm-hmm. put us at risk for tomorrow night. And 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 those those are some of the myths that we need to kind of navigate through to to reconnect with people when why they signed up to take on this work is of service in the first place it is because they're compassionate they want to help and sometimes it really hurts when you're unable to help or you're not given the tools or policies don't allow you to or time and the number of calls or sheer exhaustion mm-hmm don't allow you to bring your best self to the interactions that are right there for you to to build relationships with. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Wow. I hope this spreads like wildfire. I do too. It's so needed. I think this is amazing. It really is. But you're that doctor must be very proud of you. That, yes. That looked at the swimmer. 
stay with me swimmer, and now look what he did. Yeah, now he's changing the world. My wife always thanks him when we have him over, and he always pauses for a bit and says, you would have found somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I cannot thank you enough for being here, your wisdom and insight, and boy, it has been quite the journey with you, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. I echo Julie. What This was really something. I, I'm just so excited for the listening audience to tune in and listen to this because uh, I learned a lot. I think that this was an eye-opener and a very necessary conversation to get out there. So yeah. And the, thank you. The name of your website, if people want to get in touch. Sure. My corporate website is Pax Group LLC, and you can also find us at Project Compassion, uh, and that's projectcompassion.co, and you can find a lot more information out there. We're actually hosting a public forum here in Chicago this summer after we do some training with uh, some of the local entities here. And um, we're in partnership with DePaul's Whole Brain Program. Wow. That uh, brings a lot of neuroscience mm-hmm. and psychology to, um, to, to, to wellness and performance. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank Wonderful. you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Wonderful to be with you. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behindourdoor at mail.com. That's behindourdoor at mail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, Leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.